Well, my name is Scott, and this is Kickoff Sunday. And we call it Kickoff Sunday because it's the first Sunday of the school year, first Sunday of the church program year. And so it's back to school, back to church, back to football, back to the regular rhythms of life, and uh, all is good. And, and just like the first day of school, there's kind of this nervous excitement in the air. It's a, it's a fresh new year filled with possibility. And I'm very excited about the year in front of us. I want to tell you about a couple uh, things we've been thinking about. We've been really working through our church values as they have been freshly identified and articulated by our eldership. And this, we have this value of thoughtful theology. Thoughtful theology. We love God with our minds as well as our hearts. And so this year we're starting something new. Uh, for, for lack of a better term, we're calling it Night with a Theologian, where we fly in a, a theologian to deal with some tough topic and we surveyed 100 church leaders about what they'd like to hear about from a theological perspective. And we gave them like 25 uh, items, uh, topics they could vote on. And the number one vote-getter, this surprised me a little bit, I don't know about you, the number one thing people wanted to hear a theological perspective on was this, sexual identity and scripture. That is the topic of our day. And so we're bringing in a theologian to talk with us about that on Wednesday, October 2nd. The second vote-getter was this. This is also surprising. Neuroscience and spiritual formation. I know it makes you wonder who took that survey. But uh, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of remarkable research in this area, and so we're going to talk about that on Wednesday, November 6th. And the third one really surprised me. Uh, people want a theological perspective on, it was called Calvinism Today. That's going to be very theological, and that's in November's, uh, in, in March. So we have the first Wednesday, first Wednesdays, Wednesdays, October 2nd, uh, first Wednesday, November, November 6th, first Wednesday in March, March 4th, Night with a Theologian. And we're going deep. You know, this is not about simplistic answers. This is about honest exploration, and maybe you want to join in that. Another one of our values is healthy families. We support marriages and children, and uh, so we're, we're hosting a marriage conference later this year. Uh, very hard to get. Love and Respect is the name of the conference. Love and Respect, ver very in demand, difficult to get, but we got it. And if you're married, please mark your calendars for February 21 and 22, Friday and Saturday, February 21, 22, the Love and Respect Marriage Conference right here. Uh, but the main event this year will be the greatest sermon ever given. And I told you months ago that this fall, you would hear a sermon that would put all other sermons to shame. All other sermons would pale in comparison. And some of you thought, well, that, that won't be difficult. Uh, <laughs> we're talking, of course, about a sermon given by Jesus. And because this sermon was given on the side of a mountain, it's often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, recorded for us in Matthew Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, 6, and 7. And we're going to spend the better part of this school year exploring the greatest sermon ever given. I was initially hesitant about taking a whole year on this. If you've been around Ward Church for a while, you know that uh, most of my sermon series are, you know, four weeks or eight weeks would be really long uh, for me. And I have defended shorter sermon series uh, saying that, well, people have a short attention span but I've realized that I'm the one with the short attention span. And inside the Sermon on the Mount is a wide variety of topics, and they're actually in groupings, so it would be kind of series within series. And when I first bounced this idea off our eldership, they responded enthusiastically, and as word's been getting out, a lot of you have been very encouraging. So, so I've, I've gone from being hesitant 
to being more pumped up about a preaching calendar than I think I've ever been in my lifetime about what we're going to discuss together this year. The Sermon on the Mount has been read by more people, studied by more scholars, changed more lives than any talk in human history. And this year, we will together seek to master and be mastered by the greatest sermon ever given and by the presence and the power of the one who gave it. Let me say that again. This year, we will together seek to master and be mastered by the greatest sermon ever given and by the presence and the power of the one who gave it. So today, I want to give you an overview of the Sermon on the Mount and then make some promises of what I think will happen if you fully engage in this study because we can expect great things. So let me set the frame by talking about uh, the beginning and ending of this great sermon. Uh, Jesus begin the, began this talk with some statements about who is blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. The, these lines are so rich and so countercultural that we don't want to rush through them. And so starting September 29, we're going to take one beatitude every Sunday for eight weeks. And as you've already heard, we've produced an eight-session group curriculum as a companion guide. And we shot these videos earlier this summer at a high-rise apartment in the city of Detroit. And the magnificent Detroit skyline provided a perfect backdrop for a discussion about the kingdom of God. And I think the videos came out very well, if I may say so myself. And this eight-session curriculum is a package that can be used by existing groups, and it also works great for brand new groups. Uh, this material works for you with your church friends or your Christian friends who go to other churches. I think this also works for your neighbors who are not Christians. These are famous words that changed the world, and I think even your non-religious neighbors could have some interest in this study. The Beatitudes form the introduction or the preamble to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus goes on to teach on a wide variety of topics, which we will cover in turn in due time this year. Jesus concludes his great talk with a challenge to do what it says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, this is the closing, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the storms come, but that house stands strong. He says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the storms come and the waters rise, that house just collapses. Now notice both the wise and the foolish man both heard the words of Jesus. They both heard the greatest sermon ever given. So what was the difference? One heard the words and put them into practice. One heard the words and did not put them into practice. It's not just hearing this teaching or knowing this teaching that'll make your life stand strong. It's putting this into practice. See, in our day, you don't have to know a lot about the Bible to have an above-average biblical knowledge. 
right? If, if, you, if you want to feel good about yourself, you can play the biblical knowledge comparison game, and, uh, and, and you will know more than the average person. According to a Gallup study, more than a half of, a half of Christians surveyed did not know who taught the Sermon on the Mount. 12% of Christians surveyed thought it was called the Sermon on the Mount because it was given on horseback. Right? You can be pretty confident that you already know more than most people about the words of Jesus, and it's easy to let that knowledge make you feel superior. But Jesus says your superior knowledge will not build a life that's strong. Your superior knowledge will not affect your life unless it is put into practice. And that's what we're going to do. But just to be crystal clear on this, just for review, who taught the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus. Jesus did, yes. How important is the Sermon on the Mount? This is from Professor Harvey Cox. He says, it is the most luminous, most quoted, most analyzed, most contested, most influential moral and religious discourse in all of human history, and this year we are going to immerse ourselves in it. We're going to study it, discuss it, meditate on it, and put it into practice. We are going to build lives that can withstand any storm. That's where we're going. So here's the challenge this year. I want to ask you, uh, number one, unapologetically, I want to ask you to attend every Sunday. You don't want to miss a single installment of this great sermon. Every line is gold. You want to be here every Sunday, uh, not just for the teaching, but for worship. God has wired the human race from creation for a rhythm of life that includes regular Lord's Day Sabbath worship. And really, you, you don't want to violate the rhythm of life that God has placed in you from creation. Uh, when you and I do that, it's to our own detriment. So I want to ask you to show up every Sunday, get the teaching. Number two, discuss the Sermon on the Mount with others. Ideally, in one of these groups that we're forming with this curriculum. There's something that happens in a circle where we're talking about what do you see and what do you see and how are you applying this and here's how I'm applying this. There's something about that discussion that makes the learning drive deep. So number one, show up every Sunday for the teaching. Number two, discuss the teaching in groups. And number three, put this teaching into action every day. If you do that, if you drive this teaching right into your life, I want to promise you at least four things will happen this year. Uh, number one, you will have a fresh understanding of the gospel. That word gospel literally means good news. That's what the word means, good news. And uh, right before the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount chapter 5, at the end of chapter 4, it says this, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news. What was the good news that Jesus proclaimed? There's a lot of confusion about this, even in church circles. What was the good news that Jesus actually proclaimed? And we're going to get very specific on this next Sunday. And I promise you, looking at the words of Jesus, you will have a clear and a fresh understanding of the good news that Jesus proclaimed. Number two, uh, promise you will have opportunities this year to practice kingdom life. The Sermon on the Mount is basically instruction about how to live in God's kingdom, how to live in this new accessible 
reality. And you and I are going to have opportunities to practice that this year. For example, the Sermon on the Mount includes this teaching of Jesus in uh, Matthew 5, 43. You have heard that it was said, love your en- neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, says Jesus, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I promise you, you will have opportunities in the year ahead, maybe in the week ahead, to practice that. Anybody notice that this is an election year? A little more than a year from now, our nation will choose our next president, and it's only just started, and it's going to be polarizing, divisive, and emotional, and you will be tempted to vilify people who have opinions and viewpoints that are different from yours, and you will feel persecuted. And the words of Jesus are going to come to you this year. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And you will have an opportunity to put this into practice. More than that, because of Jesus, it is now possible to love in this way. Because of the kingdom that Jesus brought, this kind of love is now accessible. In the kingdom, there is this new kind of love And the kingdom people are characterized by love, and they love not just when it's easy, but they love when it's difficult. And you and I have access to that kind of love, and you and I are going to have opportunities to practice that this year. Another example, this is from Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 to 28, we'll get to this later. Uh, Read this one aloud with me. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now Jesus here again raises the bar, and you expect him to do so. We expect that the ethic of Jesus is going to be higher than the culture around him. This is not a surprise. I'm guessing that everybody here today, regardless of your church experience, had some idea that Jesus teaches that we are to live as brothers and sisters in community, men and women together. Sexual intimacy is to be reserved for husbands and wives, and we live as a community of men and women. This is not a surprise that Jesus teaches this. But how are we doing at this? How are we doing at this? I heard a story of a guy who was with his elderly uncle, And uh, an attractive woman walked by, and the uncle just, the old uncle just kind of smiled in a certain way that made the younger man say, why, why, uncle, are you entertaining lustful thoughts? And he said, no, they're entertaining me. This is where we say, we know what Jesus is going to say, but this is where we say, God, make me a doer of this. This really is possible to live this way, even in a me-too world. We can live as this community of mutuality as women and men together. It really is possible. So later in this series, we're going to talk about the words of Jesus about lust and about adultery. We're going to talk candidly in church about sex. And I can't wait to hear what Tyler Groff's going to say about that when we get to that one. Another teaching of Jesus. We'll get to this later, Matthew 6, 25. Read this one with me aloud, Matthew 6, Uh, 25 therefore I tell you do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink or about your body what you will wear anybody here uh, ever worry 
Anybody here ever try really hard not to worry? Yeah, how's that, how's that going for you? Do you find when, when you try not to worry, then you worry about worrying? Right? But Jesus did not say, stop worrying by trying really hard. Jesus did not say that. Jesus said the kingdom of God is available to you. So don't worry about your life, but seek first his kingdom. It doesn't mean that storms will never come. Storms come to every house. What this means is when storms come to your house, when you lose a job, lose a relationship, lose your health, that your house will stand strong, and this really is possible because of the kingdom that Jesus ushered in. You and I will learn how to live in the kingdom of God. Number three, if you give yourself to this study, you will learn how to pray really how to pray as we work through the sermon on the mount later this year we will get to this line where uh, where jesus says this this then is how you should pray dot 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 anybody want to know what jesus said after the dot jesus who had the most intimate relationship with god from anyone who's ever walked planet earth says this then is how you should pray and everybody leans in because he's going to speak words of life he's going to tell us how to communicate with the living god now a lot of you think you already know this because you know after the dots it says our father who art in heaven and a lot of us here today have even memorized that prayer but jesus was not telling us to memorize it he was teaching about access and an approach to the Father. And it doesn't matter how long you've been a part of church before, we're going to learn how to really pray this year. And fourthly and lastly, if you give yourself to this study, you will know Jesus better. Again, Sermon on the Mount begins chapter 5. In chapter 4, Jesus calls his disciples, come, follow me. And I want you to notice two groups of people listening to the Sermon on the Mount uh, it says this in the beginning of chapter 5. Now, now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So there are, there are the disciples, those are the ones who came to him, who committed themselves to him, and there are the crowds who are kind of listening in. And we see this distinction at the end of the Sermon on the Mount as well. At the very end, it says this, when Jesus had finished saying these things, when he had finished the whole Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. They heard the whole sermon. They were amazed at the teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as te their teachers of the law. When Matthew says the crowds were amazed, he's got a very specific idea in mind because Jesus did something that no other rabbi would do the crowd was not saying at the end of the sermon on the mount wow uh, that that is impressive that, that guy's a great orator and his his uh, illustrations all connected they, they weren't commenting on that uh they were commenting on his authority because jesus again did something nobody else would do and he does it in the story of the two houses other rabbis in jesus day talked about the knowing doing gap Right, the knowing-doing gap. We have to put it into practice. Uh, a rabbinic saying from right around the time of Jesus from a rabbi named Nathaniel says this, whoever studies Torah and does good works may be likened to one who lays a foundation of stone and bricks that rising water cannot overturn. 
Does that sound kind of familiar? Sounds a lot like the parable that Jesus told with one significant difference. Again, Jesus does not say uh, what the other rabbis would say. He does not say, whoever hears the Torah, he says, whoever hears these words of mine. You had the Torah, and now you have me. This kingdom of God has come in me. It has come through me. It has begun in me. The crowds would gather around because Jesus did amazing things and he said amazing words, but they were hearers. They were admirers. They, they weren't committed. And every once in a while, somebody stands up from the crowd and moves over and becomes a disciple. And a lot of us have been praying that that would happen here, that that would happen this month. Again, it doesn't matter how long you've been a part of a church. I believe a lot of people are going to move from that admirer category, from the listener-hearer category, and will become an apprentice with the Son of God. We will move from being part of the crowd to being part of his disciples. If you give yourself to this teaching, you will know Jesus better. We're going to close in just a moment. And again, I want to remind you, right after this service ends, uh, the food trucks are here and the games and activities are waiting. Please, if you can stick around, please come and join us for some of that. We're going to close this service today by praying together the Lord's Prayer. And this will be the final word. Uh, uh, no closing song in either venue today. The closing will be this prayer. And this prayer is in the Sermon on the Mount, commonly called uh, this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And so we're going to put the words of this prayer on the screen from Matthew's Gospel, including footnotes. So you'll want to read the words on the screen because it might be a little different than what you memorized. But we'll be reading together as it appears in Matthew's Gospel. Um, but I'm going to do something that's unusual for our church I, I want to ask you to, to stand and to join hands. So I need everybody to scooch into the center, bridge the aisles, both here in the sanctuary, there in Knox Hall. Everyone push to the center. All aisles come all the way to the center, scooch in all the way from the outside to the inside and grab someone's hand all the way across. And uh, I need some people to come take, take my hand. <laughs> yeah, come on, circle around front row, somebody coming. All right, now listen, I'm not starting a new tradition. Don't worry, this is not something we're going to do every week. Everyone got a hand? Everyone got a hand? We're doing it today because it feels like we're starting something new. Feels like we're starting something important. Feels like we're starting something together. So allow me to lead us in a prayer, and then if you'd join me at the appropriate time in praying the Lord's Prayer from the screens, okay? Well, God, we thank you for fresh starts and new beginnings. A new year full of promise is before us. The old is gone, the new has come. Help us to recognize and embrace all you have for us in the weeks and months ahead. Open to our understanding and to our use the words of Jesus that we might build lives that stand strong, that we might live with wisdom and awareness and grace and strength and power. 
Help us to come to know not only this great sermon, but the great sermon giver, the living word, Jesus himself. I know there are people here today, just, just like the people who gathered around Jesus on that mountain long ago, for whom life has become messy, those facing difficult circumstances, those grieving loss, those battling fear, those whose confidence has been shaken. God, reveal yourself to us. Grant to us supernatural healing and peace. We join now in praying the prayer of the mountain, the Lord's Prayer, the prayer Jesus taught to his first disciples and to us. And as we do so, we join our voices with the voices of the followers of Jesus throughout all time and all around the world. And we pray now together, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen and amen. We're in for a great year. Thanks for coming. I'll see you in the hallways in a little while.